All right, why don't you, uh, if you have a Bible, why don't you turn to John 5, and uh, thank you. And if you don't have a Bible, got some friends who are going to get a copy to you, just lift up your hand, go to John 5 if you do have one. Hey, thanks, Ryan. And um, we'll eventually get to John, but just like put a bookmark or put something in there. Just some people in the front need a Bible, and um, that would be great. Hey, Ryan, just a front, thanks. Uh, John 5 is where we'll start. Uh, we are in a new series. Oh, sorry, I should introduce myself again. Hi, I'm Jose. Hi, friends. Uh, you may be visiting, you may be new here, and thank you for the flexibility this morning. I just, I got, uh, that was good, man. I don't know about you, forget the rest of you. I, I was loving that. Um, but we'll, um, we'll pray and we'll dive in. We've got a new series today that I'm giddy about. Lord, thank you for your goodness in our lives, that you mix things up because you love us and you want to see us more fully devoted to you, your ways, your life, and find our greatest joy and satisfaction in knowing and loving you. God, will you use uh, the next period of time in our gathering, will you use the next five weeks to recenter us around who you are and your longing and your yearning for the city that we live in and love. We want to be transformed and renewing our minds so we'll know the perfect, the good, the perfect, the pleasing will of God and live it out. And uh, we can't do this apart from you. So Jesus, come and teach us, we pray in your name. Amen. When, uh, when I was 16 years old, I met Carmen. She's sitting in the front row and she's 14. Have you ever met someone that when you see them, your, your breath is just taken away. Has that ever happened? Maybe I'm Latin, so I'm romantic. And if you're married, you should be going, yeah, yeah, I, I know that. Anyway, um, Carmen and I, uh, Carmen was all I could think about when we first met and as we got to know each other. Uh, my, my daughter, Alina, says that we dated in the olden days. Um, <laughs> Because uh, no one had an iPhone because it wasn't created. And it actually, this is interesting, students, in order to see someone, you actually had to be in the same space with them. You had to be in the same room. So when we were in high school, I'm in school and I just want to see Carmen. And then I I would go to work after school, part-time job. I just want to get out of work so I could see Carmen. And as soon as I'd leave her house and go home, I was like, I just want to break out of my house in the middle of the night and creep her out by knocking on her. No, no. I, I just want to see, I just want to see Carmen. I just wanted more. I wanted more. Um, now, now, it's an analogy and it breaks down, but what would happen if in this season of life, in the season of your life, in the season of our life as a church, that we wanted more? What would it be like if, if we weren't satisfied with what we knew of God? What would it be like if we weren't happy with our walking and following the leading of Jesus? What if, what if we really knew that, yeah, we're acquainted with God, and yeah, we know a bit, but we longed for more, just like a 16-year-old in love. What if we longed for God like a teenager infatuated? What would life look like? Uh, why, why get all mushy? Um, because in the season of our church, every September into October, we do 
what we call a, a vision series. It's like nothing new, but as elders and leaders, all the time we're asking, Holy Spirit, what is it that you want to do in our community? And if you're, you're new to church, you need to know that churches don't run on like the calendar January to December. Church life runs from September through the next summer. Now, those of you with kids at home, you get it. Once your kids are in school, it drives everything, right? School year drives your year. And in the same way, Our church life is like that. So every summer we're just pressing in. God, what is it that not we want to do? What is it that you want to do in this community, in this church? And and we know where we think God is leading us, if that makes sense. We don't know it all, but we know where we think God wants us to press in. And it's it's on the screen. Teach us to pray. Teach us as a community. To pray. Now, at one level, we all know like what prayer is. It's so simple that a kindergartner, first grader can pray. So yeah, we, we kind of get prayer, but what really is it anyway? And if prayer is so important, why is it so hard? Have you ever been frustrated when you went to pray or in the middle of praying thinking like, what am I doing? Um, what's the point? If God's going to do what God's going to do, why pray? If God is the leader of the universe, like, why do I have to talk to him? And why is he interested in my opinion? And here's another one. What if I'm praying? How come sometimes when I pray, the exact opposite of what I'm asking for happens? Has that happened to you? I'm praying for this and I get that. If God wants us to pray, why doesn't he just answer why does he keep it so complicated? If those questions have ever stirred out in your brain, the next five weeks in this series called Teach Us to Pray, we want to step in. But here's the point. We're not going to look at prayer for prayer's sake. What we're going to discover this morning over the next five weeks is that it is a means to something greater. We're asking God to teach us to pray because God, we believe, wants to push us forward. He wants to push us forward in what we know about him. He wants to push us forward in what we're doing in his name. He wants to push us forward in blessing the city we live in. He wants to push us forward in growth. And in order to do that, in order to take us forward, he's going to have to teach us about the ancient and mysterious discipline called prayer. So that's where we're headed. So today is like an extended intro, right? Normally, if you're new here, we take one portion of the text of scripture. And we really look at it and analyze it and think about it and and apply it. But today we're just going to go sweeping big picture. And then next week we're going to look at in depth the Lord's prayer. But I just want to whet your appetite this morning because I think for many of us, prayer is mundane. We know because Jesus talked about it, it's important, but we have not found its importance in our own soul And there's lack somewhere in us and we can't pinpoint it. God, what is it that something's just missing? And I want to suggest to you that Jesus had to teach his disciples. It wasn't second nature. It wasn't obvious. He actually had to instruct them, even though in the culture that Jesus' disciples lived in, prayer was part of the rhythm of life. One, two, three times a day. There were 18 benedictions that the Jewish person would pray every day. 18 things that God would do. And yet somehow they missed the heart of prayer. 
So we're just going to get into it this morning, leave you dangling, and then we'll, come, we'll invite you to come back next week and we'll get into it. So number one, what is prayer? Let's just keep it basic. Most of us have read an article or a book. I want to throw up some definitions. You find the one that's most helpful to you. You can't contain it in one sentence. But a few uh, that I have found helpful, just to get us on the same uh, wavelength, and think, uh, wavelength and thinking. Uh, number one, prayer is nothing more than the ongoing and growing love relationship with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a book by Richard Foster, Celebration of Discipline, excellent read. It's nothing more than the ongoing and growing love relationship with God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Okay, another one. Prayer is enjoying the most important part of the most important relationship I have with the most important person in the universe, Dennis Fuqua. So it's, it's just an enjoyment. Most important, most important, most important. Uh, Paul Miller, another one. Prayer is the medium through which we experience and connect with God. So Paul helps us see it's, a, it's, a, it's an avenue, it's a medium. It's Highway 26. The point of 26 is not to be on 26. It's to get somewhere. So prayer is the medium through which we experience and connect with God. So simply put, write this down. Prayer is an invitation to relationship. It's not that complicated, although at times there are things we can learn, but prayer is an invitation by God to us to relationship. If we don't start there, it's an exercise. It's a to-do. It's a requirement. It's for the mature. No, it's an invitation. And you're invited. It's like dancing. I'm, I'm Latin, which means by nature I should be able to dance. I should have a genetic code. It's in the blood. I, I, I missed it. I could be adopted. I, I don't know. But I do not have the genetic ability to dance. I just, I can't do it. But have you ever seen someone dancing? You think like, wow, they just got it all together. Dancing, uh, for those of you who can, is not about the moves. Although the moves may be important in the art, and you can learn, you can grow. But it's actually about the experience, is it? If you've been to a wedding and you see the, the father-daughter dance, and everyone's standing around, and, and he's saying, I paid for this, baby. I paid for this. No, 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 no. Hopefully he's not saying that. He's, he's, he's holding on because she's about to hold on to someone else. Or, or, or just the, the, the husband and the wife, their first dance together. Again, it's not about the movements. The movements are part of something greater. We get to look in when people are dancing together to something that's beautiful, to their relationship, whether they're new and they're getting to know each other and trying to impress, or whether it's a couple in their 70s or 80s, full of life and experience, and now weak knees <laughs> and overdoses of vitamins and their life story. We're invited into relationship. So, so without overplaying the metaphor, what would it look like if we came to following Jesus that way? What if the goal was to find out where God is stepping, where God is moving, where he is acting. And the goal of following Jesus was not just do's and don'ts, although there are important do's and don'ts. Don't mishear me. But what if the goal was to find out the rhythm of what God is about right now in real time? 
And if we saw our privilege of watching God and getting in sync and in step with him. Now, so today I want to invite you to more than a guilt trip. What I hope you don't hear this week and over the next four weeks after this is you should, you should, and why aren't you? None of us need another spiritual guilt trip. If you pray more, God will be happy with you. That is oversimplistic and actually not very helpful. But what if we heard that God is inviting us to keep in step with him? Now, if you think, Jose, like that's kind of mystical and nice, but where is that in the Bible? I'm so glad you asked. John chapter five, we finally made it there. We're just going to look. I'm going to keep us in the gospel of John, but you can really see it all over the gospels. We want to ask the question, how did Jesus relate to his father? If prayer is like a dance where two are together as one, how did Jesus relate to and interact with his father? John 5, and we'll look at verse 19. Every text I'm going to read are texts in John where people are doubting Jesus's claims to who he is. Uh, so, So go back to verse 18, just to set the tone. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill Jesus, not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, which he actually wasn't. He was breaking their rules about the holy day. But he was even calling God his own, what? Father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus was misunderstood. He's making these claims. Look at Jesus' response, verse Uh, 19. He gave this answer, very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he does. Evidently, Jesus gets his power, his direction, his movement, his life from the Father. Now, now, the Father and the Son, yes, they are one, but we find Jesus getting instruction from his Father. Just drop down to verse 30, John 5, verse 30. Jesus is super clear here. By myself, I can do nothing. Judge only as I hear. I, only, I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who, what? Sent me. So Jesus is judging, he's teaching, he's leading, but he's like, I'm only getting it from my father. Okay, just go to the right, a couple of pages, to John chapter 8. John 8, again, we're doing a survey just to see how did Jesus relate to his father. John 8, verse um, 28. Again, another dispute about who Jesus is. Verse 27, we'll just start a verse behind they did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So they're confused. So Jesus said, when you've lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he, the son of man. And that what I, I do nothing on my own, but speak just whatever the father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. I only teach and say what the father Tells you, here's, here's a mind bender for a minute. Jesus learned. He's, he's God, sure, but he's also fully man. Jesus does not know everything. 
but he listens to the Father. Jesus is taught instruction by the Father. Okay, keep going. A couple more pages to the right. John 12. Again, this is so elementary, but some of us, we're missing the basics, and because we're missing the basics, we may be missing some important things. John 12, another argument about people believing, not believing in Jesus. And look at what Jesus says in verse um, 49, John 12, 49. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I've spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. So we get it again and again and again from John, probably Jesus' closest intimate friend, human friend, that there's something about Jesus that is worth following. And it is, he is in tune with his father. He gets power from his father, instruction from his father, teaching from his father, guidance from his father. There is this relationship that at its base level is transformational. And so we're invited to that. Now, how did this happen? Don't go anywhere yet. Just stay there. I'm throwing this one on the screen. Luke tells us exactly how this happened. Luke 5, 16 says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. At the beginning of the gospel of Luke, before we get all that Jesus did, we find out from Luke, he hints at the beginning, Jesus often got alone and spent time praying. So everything we just read about in John, that he's hearing from the Father, he's getting instruction from the Father, he's commanded by the Father. How did that happen? Thankfully, Luke tells us, now you think, well, he's Jesus. So of course he's got like, he's just chill. He just hangs out with the father. No, Jesus was insanely busy. One verse back, verse 15, I'll throw it on the screen. Yet news about Jesus spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and he healed them of their sicknesses. So the context of Jesus getting alone with the father is that Jesus was pressed. He's doing the work of Jesus And so everyone is listening and hearing and clamoring to get more from this man that they believe is a fabulous teacher and miracle worker. They don't realize he's the very son of God. So Jesus has a choice to make. As his popularity grows, as his Instagram followers grow, as his social media presence grows, as the number of interview opportunities to the number of news networks grows, Jesus can choose to be with people or to get away at certain points and get further instruction from the Father. I just want to make the point that Jesus had to choose to listen to the Father or to get swept up by his own popularity. And what we see from Luke is that he chooses wisely. Okay, since you're still in John, go to the right, John 15, one more. uh, And we'll kind of think through what this means for us. John 15, verses 1 through 10 are just so like often quoted and powerful about Jesus being a vine and we're branches remaining in him and we, uh, his words remain in us, will bear fruit. I just want to focus on verse 7. John 15, 7 says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done 
for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciple. If you remain in me, if you remain in me, if you, if. Now, this is one of those texts that if you don't read the whole thing, this is like Vegas, Christian Vegas, right? Just pull the slot machine, ask whatever you will, and it will be given to you. So ask bigger, ask bolder, ask greater. Man, if you ask, you receive, get it. I'm even wearing the white coat. You get it. It's all yours. You can have it. Yeah, if you read the whole thing, if. It's a conditional clause. The benefit is conditional on you living out the first part. And Jesus says, you want to know the secret to fulfilled life, to hearing from God, to getting instruction for day-to-day life? If you remain in me and my words remain in you. And remember, all throughout John, I only speak, says Jesus, what the Father has told me to say. I get commands from the Father. So as, as Jesus gets commands, as Jesus gets instruction, now he pours it out to us and says, if, if you dance, if you're in tune with me, then you can ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So there's fruitfulness that we may not have because we did not ask. There's peace that we may have that we do not have because we have not asked. There's joy in walking with God, not perfectly. We don't live perfectly and we don't live in a perfect environment. And if you're waiting for the perfect setting and then you'll follow Jesus, good luck. It's never going to happen. But in this life, there is more. And we believe that God is calling us as a church into greater things. I don't know what those greater things are. So I'm not predicting. But I know there's greater obedience. There's greater mission. There's greater love. There's greater joy in following Jesus that's available for us if we remain in him and he in us. So prayer, remember, is simply an invitation to relationship. It's a highway. It's a way that we can get out of the sidelines and into the flow of what God is doing. And Jesus is inviting you. It's not just a spiritual exercise. There's something. Now, some of us, the reason I'm stating the obvious is because if you've grown up in church, if you've gone to Christian meetings for a long time, prayer and reading the Bible and giving are these disciplines. They take work. These disciplines that often get overlooked because they're so obvious. And we want to move on to the greater thing. And can I just suggest to you, the greater thing is to learn how to pray. The greater thing for you and for me this year is to say, well, Jose, I pray every day. Well, could it be that there's more? Could it be that there are dimensions of relationship with God? Because prayer is just an invitation to know God. Could it be that there is growth available for you and an understanding of who God is and how the Spirit works and, and God taking you to places where you ha- absolutely have to trust Him? Is there more available for you? The answer is yes. Now, now what's the stumbling block? How come we're not there? Let's just admit it. We're not there. Oh, we're not there yet. There's a quote by an author named Paul Miller. Conviction. Here we go. You don't create intimacy. You make room for it. This is true whether you're talking about your spouse, your friend, or God. You need space to be together. Efficiency, multitasking, 
and busyness all kill intimacy. In short, you can't get to know God on the fly. Ouch. (laughs) That last line, you want to talk about doing a tat on the inner arm. You cannot get to know God on the fly. Because remember, prayer is an invitation to relationship and relationship takes time and Jesus gets alone and he spends time with his father. He's up early spending time with his father. At the end of John, he's up late at night and he prays all night, morning, noon, and night. Jesus is interplaying with the father. Could it be that some of our disappointment in prayer is that we've treated God as a last resort? God's a last resort. So what do I do? Okay, I'm challenged or face an issue or I have a need. I find out where, what I can do. And if I'm, if I'm like open enough, I'll get my friends to help me what they can do. And I'll, I'll exhaust every option. And when things are impossible, maybe I should bring this to God. Have you ever done that? Have you ever felt that way? Like my life is about God made me and now I'm responsible for my world and my future and my hope and my kids and my relationships And God is like, hello, I am here. And I've actually shown in my son the way to a fruit-filled life. And it is a life marked with intimacy with God. But intimacy takes time. So what would happen if God became our primary pursuit rather than our last resort? Something I just want you to write down, scribble it, and just think about it this week. Intimacy with God is learned. It's learned. Now, this is going to be really encouraging. Life with God is not automatic. And if you started following Jesus and been frustrated, join the club. Because it's very unnatural to follow someone you can't see. Would you agree? It's just not natural. And so you and I are going to have to learn to grow. Intimacy with God is something that's learned. It's something that you mature in. It's something that you step into. It's not automatic. This is very encouraging. So if you've just started following Jesus or started taking it seriously and it's been frustrating, that is a-okay because you can and will grow. You're going to get better at it. You're going to learn some stuff. Uh, and, And that's the helpful part. Ever try reading the scriptures and find them boring? I have. Like yawn, lamentations. Like it's just like, why is this here? This is depressing. You ever spend time with Jesus in prayer and your mind goes all over the place and like, wow, I just can't do this. You're not alone. We all have, we all do. But intimacy, like any relationship, it's learned. You can get into the rhythm of what God is like. And you know what? The good news is he comes to you knowing how you're made, knowing how you're wired, and knowing how to get your attention. So part of prayer is recognizing it's an invitation to relationship. And when I pray, because I might be different than you, the way God connects with me and me with God may be slightly different than the way he connects and speaks with you. And it should be like that. The way couples or friends relate is never the same. There are uniquenesses. And here's the good news. God in his love uniquely wants to relate with you. So when prayer becomes a part of my rhythm, here's what's going to happen. My life is going to change. Some of us are like, I want my life to change. And God in his goodness is saying, oh yeah, it will. Just keep in step with me. 
If you keep in step with me, I will move you. But a second thought related to the fact that intimacy is something that we can learn and and catch this, because this is the stumbling block for most of us who live in a rich country, which we do live in, is passion and prayer is tied to desperation. The level of passion that I have, and remember, prayer is simply an invitation to relationship. So my passion to walk in intimate relationship with God is tied to my desperation. So let me just give an example. When we started the church, uh, September 11th, just last Friday, was the four-year anniversary of our first prayer meeting. We didn't even have a place to meet. We didn't have, you were not here, most of you. We just invited people to pray. And let me tell you, when I look back to how we prayed when we began, there was desperation. A few of us wanted to see it happen. We sensed that God was in it. We didn't know where we would meet. We didn't know who would come. We didn't know anything. And when you don't know and you realize, I can't do it, and I've never started a church before, and I didn't know what I was doing, I still don't. You're desperate. Passion in prayer is tied to desperation. And until I'm desperate, I don't need God. And therein lies our challenge when it comes to praying. Because now we're four years later, and guess what? We have statistics. We have a Google Doc that tells us exactly how many adults are here and how many kids are here, so we know our kids' ratio. We know how much coffee to order based on the trends of who's here and the weather. We just upped our coffee order because you will consume twice as much in the next few months. I know this because I remember last year and the invoices for our coffee. Here's the problem. The more I know, the less I need to trust. So it's easy for me to not pray with desperation when I can kind of guess that we're trending up and put out more seats and more people will come. What if I was desperate like day one? What would my prayer life... What I want to say, I'm not inviting you, I'm inviting we to live in the tension of, yes, I do have, but apart from God, what I have is not enough. And when I see life as not enough apart from God, then my desperation will lead me to a deeper relationship and intimacy with God. Comfort is the enemy of a praying life. Comfort is our blessing and our greatest enemy. And because we live in a very rich country, we suffer in America with prayerlessness. I spent a good amount of time in other places. And anyone who's joined me or gone anywhere else, people who know Jesus who don't have money know how to pray. People who have money think that money is enough. It's just the way it is. It, it's not real. It's a mask. It's a facade. Because then we're, we, we're left wanting more and we find that money doesn't fully satisfy and things don't fully satisfy. And we're wondering, why am I Christian? But agitated and restless and maybe it doesn't work. Can I suggest God always works. But we need to find him. And he's available 
And the means by which we find life in God is prayer. We're loaded. We have options in Portland. Not only can you go to any supermarket and buy umpteen boxes of stale pre-made donuts, you could go to Krispy Kreme down the street. You could go to Pips. You could go to Blue Star if you're really wise. You have donut options in Portland that are extraordinary. Bacon and maple syrup in a little donut. It's a taste of heaven. We have all these options. And the problem with our options is we opt for everything but God. Because we don't need him because he's already given us all that we need. Now, if that sounds convicting, it's not a guilt trip. It's just the truth. But when we recognize the truth, we can be like Jesus and we can grow. And Jesus wants to teach us how to pray. Another quote by Paul Miller in his book called A Praying Life. If you're going to buy one book this fall, Paul Miller is the author, A Praying Life. It will change your world. Dependency, he says, is the heartbeat of prayer. Learning to pray doesn't offer us a less busy life. It offers us a less busy heart. So my circumstances may not immediately change, but when I have learned desperation, when, when I realize I can grow in this, learned desperation is what we need. It's to learn to be dependent, which is not natural for guys, period. No guy wants to look like a sissy. No guy wants to look like he can't do it. Women, I'm giving an exaggeration, but hear me out. Women are usually better prayers because they are willing to be vulnerable about their need for God. Whereas guys feel this desperate need to be strong, even when inside we're like babies. But we don't want anyone to see it. Can I just suggest, God wants to break down those barriers of human foolishness and replace it with a heart of desperation for him. The question is, do we even want that? God's calling us to more, more that we can do in his name, more that we can do for one another, more that we could see God do in the city, but it happens when we're desperate. Now, all of that was the introduction. Where do we go from here? We're going to look at the Lord's Prayer over the next two weeks. We're going to look at what Jesus said on prayer and begin to unpack how to step into a praying life. But for today, I want to keep this so base level that if you are breathing, you can do this. How do we move in this direction? One instruction, one thing I'm going to ask you to do starting today and make a part of your regular rhythm in life and it will be absolutely life-changing. If you don't believe me, just try it. This fall, do this. Eat and pray together. That is it. That's all I'm asking you to do. It's actually not true. It's a lie. I'm asking you to do more. That's all I'm asking you to do for today. Eat and pray together. Will you choose to eat with a group of people that are all so following Jesus at many levels or maybe interested in Jesus and commit to enjoy a meal because a meal is an invitation and a tool for relationship. When you eat with someone, you become an equal. Ever found it to be true? Get around a table with a meal. We're all on the same page. 
if we eat together, we invite human relationship. And then when we pray together, we invite God to enter in the human relationship. And here's what God will do. 99.9% of the time, he will not speak with a megaphone and say, children, doeth thou thiseth. He's not going to do it. He actually speaks real English or Spanish or whatever you speak. He is going to use someone in your group that you're eating with and you're going to find they're going to say something that's going to seem so nonchalant and so passe and it's going to hit you in between the head as the truth of God. And you're not even going to know what happened. And then you're going to go to bed at night and say, I think God spoke to me only to find out it was God using someone that you're eating with. Can we just choose to eat and pray together? If we will take baby steps to eat and pray together, God will meet us in our simple places. That's why there's a method to this madness. We do not gather without food or drink. When you leave here, this coffee, this food, is it because we like to spend cash? Yes. Because we believe that the greatest investment is not Here, it's actually when you walk out and spend 15 minutes talking with somebody, praying with somebody, impromptu, saying, can we get together this week? Eat together, pray together. We don't do a gathering without food unless we're fasting. That only happens once a year. And uh, it's why we call our communities to eat and pray together uh, at homes. Eat together, pray together. So let me just, just end with this. Who are you eating and praying with. Who are you eating and praying with? This morning, the invitation is to life in Jesus. This morning, the invitation is to find right relationship with Jesus. And can I just suggest that Jesus' path to intimacy with the Father is to model what he did with his disciples. He gathered a few, and he ate with them. And then he told them what he'd heard from the Father. What would it look like if we committed ourselves to discipleship to Jesus by saying, you know what? In order to grow in Jesus, I need to regularly eat with some people because that's a good thing. And then call on the Father to speak to us. What if it started that simply? I want you to close your Bible, if you would, close your notes. And um, we're just going to end the gathering. Um by inviting the Spirit of God to speak with us. And uh, I don't even think we're going to have the whole band, right? No, it's just, we're almost done. We're almost done. But maybe, maybe this is the point where God begins to get through to you. So here's how we're going to end. We're going to take a couple of minutes and we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to, to remind us what Jesus has said. And God's speaking voice is actually more familiar than you think. It's what he's written in the scriptures. It's what he has written through other authors that's in line with the scriptures. It's what we say to one another that is in line with the way of Jesus. God speaks in all sorts of ways. So I just want you to take a moment and just be quiet and ask the Holy Spirit, what is it? What is it that's keeping me from a new life adventure 
of walking in active relationship with you? What is it? What's the barrier? And if God reveals something to you and you got a pen, write it down. And then do me this favor this week, today if you can, share that. Share that struggle. Share that aha. Grab Chipotle. Grab a salad. Grab a coffee. With someone that's following Jesus and say, on Sunday, I believe that God began to impress on my soul and share that out. You never know how God will use that.